right, well, you can be seated. Thanks for being with us this morning. My name is Meredith. Isn't it so good to sing songs about freedom and where the spirit of the Lord is, we can experience that freedom. Uh, My name is Meredith. My husband, Claude, and I are the lead pastors of this church. We just want to welcome everyone in the room today, um, as well as you joining us online. And I have a sneaking suspicion that many of you are online or joining us later in the week due to the Super Bowl today. And that's fine. We meet at three and there's a lot of you having Super Bowl parties, but we want to welcome you. Welcome online. And we do hope you're joining us later in the week. I will say, though, there is the most invested Super Bowl fan in the house today. Now, she could be throwing the biggest Super Bowl party because she's a Bengals fan. And if anybody can figure out who that is with the orange and black, just shout out to Kelly. We love you, and we're rooting for you, and we hope you get a win. (laughs) But thanks for being here, everybody. In, In all seriousness, we're so glad to see your faces. There's something really special about being in the room together, but we do um, hope for those of you that are online, you feel welcome here as well. And if there's anything that we can do through our website or through email or whatever to make you feel at home, we would do that. A special welcome to any guests in the room today. Um, We know that sometimes visiting a church for the first time is a little bit intimidating. So however we can serve you, we would love to do that. If you would like to share your information with us, you don't have to, but it would be a great way for us to follow up with you, get some feedback. Um, If you want to be put on a mailing list, you can certainly do that, but don't have to. Um, But it's mostly a way for us just to connect and say hi and to say thanks for being here. Um, And if you're in the room and you have information to update or you want to sign up for devotions or something like that, you can also use those same info cards that any guest would use. Uh, They're in the back of the room at the next steps table. Um, You can also do that online. You can also do that through an app that we use called the YouVersion app. And um, it's an app that's not just great for sharing your information, but you can also follow along with the service, the, the gathering through that. You can take notes in there. You can see what's coming up. And you can also give on that app if you feel led to do that. Um, If you'd feel led to give in any other way, you can do that through our website. You can do that in the back of the room. We love to talk about giving and generosity here, not because we're after your money, but because it's such a good way to live um, generous and in in those type of principles that God has set out for us. It's just a healthy, free way to live. And so we'd love to talk about that. If you have any questions, please let us know. Um, And speaking of questions, if you have any questions, feedback, ideas, if you need prayer, if you need to reach out to us in any way, we check this email, connect at centerwaychurch.com throughout the week, and we would love to connect with you that way. Some other ways you can connect if you want to, we create wallpapers for your um, phone, for your desktop to remind you of the application question. You can put that. It's such a good reminder. You can check out the Spotify playlist. It has not only the songs from this Sunday, but the entire Essential series. That's the series we're in right now, for those of you that don't know. Uh, you can check out our social media. We post there every once in a while, oh, every week. I don't know why I said every once in a while. We, we don't overload it. But we're, we are on social media. You can check us out. And another way, great way to connect throughout the week are the Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals. And I just got to give a shout out to the preaching, teaching team. The devotionals have been so, so good. They're always so good. But something about this series, going deeper into the Greek words and just uh, learning more than you can, you can only share so much information on a Sunday morning, right? Um, Or we'd be here a really long time because the word of God is so rich and there's so much to it. But those devotionals take us deeper and they've been just incredible, this essential series. Um, For any of you online or actually any of you in the room, you can access the message messages page of the website uh, to connect with most of the things I just mentioned. That's where all of our resources live. Um, And next steps. You can take next steps. I was like, what is, what is next? Okay. Messages page, next steps page. If you're looking for any ways to grow, there are ways to do that. Sunday morning isn't the only thing, although that's a great way to grow, but you can serve. Uh, we have so much fun serving together. You can get spiritually coached you can get water baptized or become a center steward. If you have any questions about next steps, you can check out online or you can check out the next steps booth at the end. I think Claude or Eric will be out there at the end. Um, another next step you can take is joining a circle. Circles already started this past week. They're so good. We had so much fun on Friday, but it's not too late to join and you don't have to commit to all of them. It's an eight week cycle, but there's actually seven times that we meet. You don't have to uh, commit to all of them if you just want to come. We just talk about how we're applying the text in our everyday life and it's just so life-giving and so good. Um, One sort of announcement, we don't really typically like to do announcements, but for the students out there, um, in place of the February 24th, I believe it is, um, student circle, there's going to be a skate night. Um, We've rented the ice rink at Dick's, and just the Centerway students have it all to themselves, so it does require a hold harmless parents, um, but all that information is on the calendar page of the website. You can check that out. Invite your friends. Um, That's going to be a great night, so just something to look forward to. But here we go. Here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. When I'm done 
done talking here. Spencer's going to come and read scripture. Claude's going to be communicating from the Bible. And then we're going to respond to the word through singing, which we're so excited to do together today. So let's pray. God, we love your presence. There's nothing like it, and there's nothing like being in gospel-centered community. And so uh, we just pray today that you would help us to receive your word with gladness, that it would change our hearts and our lives. Lord, we just really want to come and hear what you have to say, and we want to honor you and worship you. And so whether that's in the room or online or later in the week, God, would you just take all of our worship and all of our praise, and would you change us and renew our minds? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Spencer. Thanks, Meredith. I'll be reading the scripture for today. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. You can follow along in the YouVersion Bible app on the screen behind me or in one of the scripture journals located in the back of the room. Again, Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. It says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Thanks, Spencer. Excited to uh, continue in the series Essential this week, and uh, this week's title is Unity. So we're going to be talking about unity, and uh, I want to provide kind of some necessary information so that you can grasp uh, what's being conveyed in today's text. Uh, for those of you that don't know, the Apostle Paul is the author of Ephesians, and uh, Paul uh, was a Jewish man who did ministry predominantly to Gentiles or non-Jewish people, so that'll be helpful as we move forward. Um, it's important that we all know these things uh, so we can fully understand the context here, even if nothing else at face value. Uh, Jewish people, just so you know, and Gentiles were very different. Um, They were different in some minor ways and then also in some very major ways. Uh, Their cultures were entirely different. Their food was different. Their social norms, you name it, just about every aspect and rhythm of their life was entirely different. In that day, where you were born is where you lived and ultimately where you died. Uh, There was not a lot of mobility or moving around. You stayed in close proximity to your family. And uh, whatever it is that your forefathers did for a living, you were trained in that trade and you did that for a living until you died. Sounds awesome. But the fact is, it was just the, the cultural norm. You stayed insulated within your group, within your knowledge base. It's the way you lived. If you were a specific ethnicity, You only interacted with others of that same ethnicity. And the siloing, if you will, or the isolation didn't end there. You see, within your ethnicity, there were classes or structures. Um, So within an ethnic group, there were socioeconomic barriers. And I could go on and on with all of the differences and the uniquenesses of the way that they live their lives, but you get my point. They were a very segregated society on every level, and it was intentional. It was not accidental. It was intentionally set up that way. I remember um, a while back going to college and experiencing some of this, um, this idea of people hanging out in their specific groupings. It happened somewhat in high school, and I think if you're a high school student, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Just this idea that certain groups of people hang out and do life together. But when I went to college, I was was kind of excited and maybe a little naive that it would be somewhat different. You know, we're all living together, for goodness sake. And so uh, we're just a community doing life together. This is gonna be awesome. Uh, I was uh, in particularly excited because I was gonna play uh, soccer as well as baseball on the collegiate level. And so I thought, man, this is going to be great. Like, I'm going to be able to connect with some friends. We're going to do life together. This is going to be awesome. And uh, show up for soccer camp and um, real quick find out that the entire team is super comfortable letting me know that I don't belong there. Um, It wasn't because of anything, uh, you know, specific with the exception of the fact that I was new. And so you kind of have to 
earn a sense of belonging. And uh, there were all different types of ways that this was communicated, but the most predominant and the most memorable for me was at the conclusion of one of the practices, uh, the coach was like, hey, it's getting kind of late. We're going to miss dinner. Um, so we're just going to do one quick activity before we wrap things up. What I want you to do is we're going to get on the line here and we all lined up. He's like, let's get all the balls. So we dump all the balls out of the bags and stuff. We got all these soccer balls out there. He goes, all right, I want us to, just one at a time, we're going to take turns kicking. We're just going to see who can kick the furthest. Like, kick the furthest? He's like, yeah, I want to see who has the biggest foot. We're just going to take shot after shots. We're like, whatever. So we all just start kicking the ball. And so one after another, and he then says, all right, I think this person kicks the furthest type thing. And so everybody's like, yay. And the whole time, you ever have this sense that like something's happening that everybody understands except you? <laughs> and uh, I had that sense as this is going on. And so practice is kind of over and he goes, all right, we're all wrapped up. In fact, we need to go now if we want to make it in time for dinner. So the only thing is, Claude, you have to go uh, pick up all the balls. I was like, excuse me? He's like, you got to go get all the soccer balls and put them in the bags and drop them off at the gym. I'm like, you're kidding, right? And he's like, no. And everyone starts laughing. He's like, welcome to the team. Everyone's like, freshman. You know, I'm like, what the heck? Like, you guys are idiots. And uh, I'm thinking, there's no way they're actually doing this to me. And they all just left. And there are balls sprayed all over the field, which now I understand why they were kicking like a bunch of lunatics is because they knew what was going to happen. And so there I am running around as frantically as I can, because in college, like if you miss dinner, you don't eat that night. And so I'm going as fast as I can. I missed dinner. It was devastating. It was just another way for me to realize this is awesome. I'm on a team that I don't really belong on, or it felt that way. Then just when I thought that maybe in some way I could overcome this barrier and that I was part of a team, even though I was kind of low man on the totem pole, then baseball season came and I thought, oh, this is going to be awesome. Like I know people now. I'm in classes with them. This will be totally different until it wasn't. No, I came on the baseball team and started right at the bottom again. It was like no one even knew me. I had the worst roles in the world. I remember our first away game, we came back and they handed me a garbage can and they're like, go clean the buses. I was like, what? They're like, the vans, go clean them. I'm like, clean the vans? Like, yeah, that's your job. Don't we have like a janitor or something? And so you can imagine a bunch of teenage guys, uh, the vans were not in pretty condition and they reeked. And so I had to clean them up only to make it to the gym with the bags of garbage and be like, all right, here's all the trash. I cleaned out the vans. I'm like, okay, there's the uniforms and stuff. Make sure you do the laundry. <laughs> like, what? Now, some people would say this is like a healthy form of hazing or something like that. It just made me feel like, wow, I don't belong. And there was one person that was on both teams. Uh, he played both soccer as well as baseball, and he was an RA. I was really excited because it was kind of like by pecking order where you ended up in a room or in a dorm or something like that, and he was with a bunch of seniors, and he invited me to be in their apartment in between semesters. And so I thought, wow, this is awesome. Like, I belong. Like, because normally it's just the soccer guys hang out together, the baseball, and I'm kind of in the middle. And so here I'm going to live with these guys, and we're going to do life together. I'm going to have some seniors that have my back. And we walk into the living room, and I was like, so which room's mine? You know, there's like this hallway. And he goes, oh, it's right there. And he points to the corner where there's this little cot in the corner. <laughs> he goes, that's your room. I'm like, that's not a room. That's a corner. And he's like, you're welcome. I'm like, Wow. I hate you all. I hate this. I hate my life. This is terrible. <laughs> and uh, I would try to fall asleep every night to a bunch of guys yelling and screaming at a television that was four feet away from me. <laughs> I was like, I need to sleep. It was terrible. I felt like a complete outcast at every turn. Like I said, some people would say it's healthy hazing. I just felt like this is a way for me to realize that no, no matter how good I get at things, it didn't matter how good I was at soccer or how good I was at baseball, I was the freshman. And so that's it. I'm an outcast. I'm sharing that story and that journey a little bit because I want to ask you a question. The question is this. When was the last time you felt like an outcast? When was the last time you felt like an outcast? Now. Some might say outcast. That's strong language there, Claude. I mean, I have never felt like an outcast. Just bear with me a second. You may or may not have had something kind of vivid like I articulated. Maybe you have never been on the receiving end of an extremely hurtful experience or something like that. But I want to submit to you 
The feeling of an outcast. Feeling like an outcast is actually a universal experience. It's a universal experience. It's amazing because we all feel alone in the moments that we feel like an outcast. But the truth of the matter is every single human being on the face of the earth has experienced what it's like to be on the outside looking in. If you're a human, you've experienced it. Now, maybe you've acted like you were unaffected. Maybe you acted like it didn't matter to you or it was fine. But the fact is it happened. It happened. And you know what's interesting? We'll do whatever we can do to not feel like an outcast. We'll do it. I mean, maybe some of you are in a little bit of denial. Like I said, maybe you're like, oh, I don't care. I remember uh, my wife and I did youth ministry for 10 years and um, there was a, a, a kid that came in and visited the youth ministry at one point and uh, I remember he walked in and kind of went off to the side immediately. He's kind of leaning against the wall, making sure he's away from everybody. And so I, I just walk over and introduce myself and asked him how he heard about the youth group. And he's like, yeah, I don't, I just heard about it. I just came, nobody invited me. I'm like, all right. He's like, I'm a loner. Okay. It's like, is it all right if I smoke in here? <laughs> I, I wish that was a joke, but I swear the dude whipped out his stogie. I'm like, you can't smoke in here. He's like, no. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of like, a state law. Like, he's like, all right, cool, cool. So he put it away. And he's like, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm a loner. Like, yeah, I caught that. Like, that's pretty cool. He's like, yeah, I don't really care what people think. I just kind of do my own thing. He's like, there's a group of us in school that just kind of, you know, don't need anybody else. We're loners. I'm like, so you're, you're loners together? So what you're saying is you're a group of loners? Do you not see what's happening? Here's the deal. The human condition is one that desires a sense of belonging. We all want community. We want to belong, even those that proclaim to be loners. <laughs> we still want connection. I remember when I came back uh, as a sophomore, I had my own room in my apartment. It was amazing. They're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm putting my stuff on my cot. <laughs> like, no, dude, you got a room at the end of the hallway. I'm like, I do? They're like, yeah. Yeah, you're upperclassman now. Like, there's your room. Like, to myself? It was a big room, too. I was like, holy cow. I was like, wait, why are there two beds in here? They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. There's always been two beds in there. <laughs> like, why couldn't I sleep in the other bed last semester? <laughs> like, no, the, the dude that comes in and takes your cot won't be allowed to sleep there either. I'm like, oh, this is a loving environment. Uh, but it was exciting, right? Like, now I have my own room. I went to uh, to the the uh, pre, I'm totally blanked out on what it's called. What do you do when you play before the games? Like, you show up. Preseason, there it is. So the, uh, I show up to preseason and we're warming up and everything and I just kind of take my lot in life. I start shagging the balls and stuff and guys like, captain's like, what are you doing? I'm picking up the balls. Like, no, 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 you don't pick up the balls. That's what the worthless freshmen are for. I'm like, oh. And then it was amazing how all of a sudden the sophomores began to just get all of that stored up aggression and begin to direct it towards the freshmen that were new. Like they were so angry and embittered last year. Now they get to just express that wrath towards the new freshmen. Like, yeah, get this, you know. It's, it's incredible how quickly we make that change. I want to tell you one of the main ways that we deal with being an outcast is to ensure that others know they don't belong. Now we belong. Now I belong. And so therefore, who's the one that doesn't? Oh, it's you. And we all know it. See, if someone else is the outcast, then I'm not. And that's exactly the way we function. It's the nature of humanity. At the very least, we expect others to pay their dues, right? Who came up with that? It was difficult for us, so it should be difficult for them. I mean, obviously, they need to earn it. It builds character. We say stupid things like that. <laughs> they need to earn their sense of belonging. It's the way our culture and society works. And so why in the world would we think that in some way we don't then express that same approach in our spiritual lives? It's no wonder that we look to the Lord as if in some way we have to earn a sense of loving, or love or belonging. Like maybe I'm on the outside looking in, that maybe everybody in the room understands the Bible a little bit better than I do. There's something that I missed. I'm on the outside. I'm going to earn it. I'm going to earn it. Here's the deal. This mindset, the way the world works, it actually breeds division, not unity. 
we lost a lot of good athletes that just didn't want to be treated that way. They were just done. They didn't want to pay their dues. They were really good and they just had a real desire to be a part of a team. And when they found out that there was like some packing order, they were treated less than, they were just done. But this is the world system. God's system says you belong before you believe. Scripture says that while we were enemies of God, he laid down his life. There's no earning needed. He loves you, broken, worthless, whatever it is that you believe in some form of a lie about yourself, God desperately loves you. You belong even before you believe. Today's text is communicating that it's essential that we as believers are unified. Unified. That we live in unity. Verse 11 says this, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Might be like, what in the world does that mean? I'm going to explain it. Paul is speaking to Gentiles. And he's saying, remember when you were called the uncircumcision? Remember when you were called that by the circumcision. And so he's making reference to Jewish people. So he's saying, hey, Gentiles, remember when you were called the uncircumcision by Jewish people? What does all this mean? Again, a little bit of context. The old, in the Old Testament, we see that circumcision was a physical sign that Jewish people had entered into a covenant with God. If you don't know what circumcision is, ask your parents. <laughs> so it's a physical sign of entering into a covenant. So what Paul is asking them to recall, what Paul is asking them to remember is them recalling that they had been called a name and so much more. What Jewish people were doing was clarifying something. They were saying this essentially, hey Gentile, you're not in covenant with God. You have no favor with my God, the true God. You don't belong. You're unclean. You're an outcast. That's what the Jewish people were saying. And Paul is saying, do you remember that? You see, before Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, as I mentioned in the beginning, Jews and Gentiles had nothing to do with each other. They had absolutely nothing to do with each other. In fact, if a Jewish person came in contact with a Gentile, they would have to go through an extensive cleansing process. The same cleansing process that they would have to go through if they came in contact with a dead body or an animal. It's a big deal. Completely different cultures. Nothing to do with each other. But now there's this new citizenship. This new gathering of people that transcend their differences. And it's called the church. It's called the church. So now, for the first time in history, Jew and Gentile were unified by the blood of Jesus. Listen to that for a second. This was paramount. This was earth-shattering. For the first time in history, Jewish people and Gentile were sitting together, unified by the blood of Jesus. Unity. Unity. Now, make no mistake. Jews and Gentiles, in general, as peoples, were not suddenly unified like, oh, we like each other now. No, no. Only those with relationship with Jesus and had been transformed by the truth of the gospel. It was only the people whose hearts were awoken to the reality of their sinful nature and the realization that Jesus had laid down his life for them that all of a sudden they realized, my goodness, they're my brother, they're my sister. You see, these communities of believers, they consisted of every tongue, every tribe, every nation. They were all social statuses. From the poor to the rich, they were gathering together to worship the one true God in a way that no one had experienced up until this point. In fact, the early church, they would bring the belongings and they would sell what it is that they had so they could care for one another in this community. Even women were welcome into this place in an incredible, incredible sexist society. It was unheard of. It was unheard of, and it shook the foundation of their entire culture. The world could not help but notice the unity that happened within the context of the church. My goodness, how far we've come. You see, it was counterintuitive. It was counterintuitive, and it awoken people's hearts to the idea maybe they could belong. Verse 12, 
He goes on and says, remember that you were at one, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. (laughs) It's incredible. The commonwealth in the Greek means citizenship. So again, what Paul is saying, he's making it crystal clear. He's already said, hey, remember when you used to be called names and it was really clear that you didn't belong? And then he goes on and says, I mean, do you remember when you weren't even part of like the citizenship of Israel? He's making it clear, remember how much of an outcast you were. Do you remember that? You remember when you didn't belong? So did you catch it? You see, something's really easy to miss when we're moving through scripture. Sometimes we gloss over passages and we miss some significant things in the text. I want to point out something that's rather profound and yet also rather obvious. Both verses 11 and 12 start with the word remember. Did Paul actually think they had forgotten? Did they actually forget in some way what it's like to be an outcast? Yes, they did. They did. And get this, we all do. We all do. In our pursuit to belong, we forget Not the pain. No, no, no. We don't forget the pain associated with being an outcast. No, pain leads us to resentment. Pain leads us to even hatred. And humans do both of those things real well. In fact, an upperclassman, they can suddenly just redirect all their hate and anger and resentment towards the new lowerclassmen. No, we remember the pain. The pain causes us to ensure others know that we belong now and they're the ones that don't. We don't forget the pain. What we forget is to empathize with other outcasts. We forget the feelings that we used to have when we wanted so badly just to belong. We forget what it's like to be on the outside looking in. Once we're on the inside, we forget what it's like to be an outcast. In our humanity, we want to think we're better. So we lower others and even look down on them. Oh, they, don't, they don't know what we know. They don't understand the things we know. I mean, why aren't they more civilized? I mean, my goodness, get your life together. Here's the deal. Every one of us in this room does this. We all do it. And if you think you don't, it's because you think you're better than that. You think, oh, I'm not one of those people. And then in case you're not tracking here, then you would be one of those people. Yeah, we all got it? All right, because there's a lot of aha moments. I just want to make sure we were clear. You see, that was their problem. The church in Ephesus was starting to just bust at the seams. In the early church, it was one of the largest churches in one of the largest cities at the then known time. And so all of a sudden, these Gentiles that were on the outside looking in are now all of a sudden starting to be part of one of the fastest growing churches in the then known country. And they're dealing with a little like, we're pretty awesome. We're pretty, uh, pretty impressive here. And Paul's like, no, no, no. You can't understand what it is that we're going to talk about in the practical rhythms of life and transformation if you don't understand the basics of what's essential in what it is that you've been called to be and do as a church. And so do you remember? Do you remember what it's like to be an outcast? Because you have to keep it at the forefront of your heart and mind or you won't have grace for others. Here's the good news. I mean, we don't do that in churches today. We're way more sophisticated. I mean, after all, if you're a Christian today, it's clear you're a Democrat. I mean, obviously, right? Or wait, I mean, clearly, if you're a Christian, then you're a Republican. That's what I meant. (laughs) Yeah, we're way beyond division, right? (laughs) Some of you guys seem nervous just in that illustration. You're like, what's going on? If you want, I could really make everybody uncomfortable. We could start talking about vaccination status. We could talk about masks. We'll just split the room right down the middle. It's amazing, right? We can jump to, divi- to division real quick. And you guys might look at me and say, oh, he's so young that you might forget that my wife and I pastored during Y2K. <laughs> now, if you want to go back, you think the pandemic is bad. Try to be part of a pastoral staff in Y2K. There's people building flipping bunkers in their backyard and they're looking at us like, why don't you love people? We're like, what? Like dig a hole. The world's coming to an end. 
listen, the pandemic and people dividing, it's not new. I mean, maybe it's new to you because maybe you forgot. Maybe you forgot what it's like to be on the outside. But the world, it always gets worked up about something. We're always leaning into division. I mean, if you don't believe that, we could just split the room and talk about sports teams. (laughs) It goes to every level. From things that are right in our face to things that are subtle. Listen, society says our differences define us. Gravitate to people that think like you. Find somebody that thinks like you and then just run after them. I mean, they're your people. But the gospel says that we're actually defined by what we have in common. Our brokenness and our need for our savior. That transcends all the issues of the day. And it's timeless. Whenever the new issue comes, there'll be a new one. I hate to break it to you, there'll be a new one. It's coming. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it'll be about, but it'll be here. And everybody will have an opinion. Does it transcend? Does the gospel transcend? Do you understand the gospel to the point that it transcends the issues of the day that actually informs the way you interact with people? Our brokenness and our need for our savior is what we have in common. Verse 13, Paul makes it clear. He says, but now. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He clarifies it right there. He's like, that's what we have in common. Listen, Jesus was an outcast, so you never would be. He was an outcast, so that you could always belong. Two people, a Jew and a Gentile, far more different than a Republican and a Democrat. I mean, off the charts different. I've never had an interaction with somebody that politically agrees differently that requires me to go through a cleansing process after having a conversation. Deeply different people. You need to realize the depth of what Paul is saying. We're talking about people that at the moment of their birth were informed how to interact with other people. It's ingrained in them. It's in their identity. It's in their history. This is the little town they've lived in their whole life and they have known since birth that those people are out and we're in. And yet against all odds, the gospel just in a minute changes it. And we've somehow cheapened that into church attendance. If we're, if we're truly disrupted by the truth of the gospel, then it reaches into everybody we interact with and everything that we uh, engage in and how it is that we deal with our finances and our relationships and what it is that we say and how we spend our time, where we put our energy, all of it, it has to uproot and order all of that. And it did for them. They risked everything. They were disowned by their families to worship besides other people rejected from their villages of stability, their source of income. You see, when you're kicked out of your community and your relatives are your boss and all you've ever known is what it is you were raised to do, all of a sudden you're extremely poor in a society that does not deal with poor people well. And so what did the church do? They linked arms. said, I have some stuff I can sell. What do you need? Let's follow Christ together. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to be. That's what unity is. If they understand the gospel, then they get along. They're on mission together. Listen, <laughs> don't get me wrong. They still disagreed on things, but they were unified I've shared this before, it's no secret. I have two sisters, one older, one younger. I hope I'm in your prayers just for that alone. <laughs> Here's the deal. I love my sisters desperately, their family, but we disagree on a lot. And then this amazing thing happened. They got married. They got married to guys that I disagreed with 
and they established their own family setups and some of the things I disagreed with. And, and all of a sudden, I got married, and they disagreed with some of the things that we agreed with. And all of a sudden, I'm part of a family where my wife has a sister and kind of disagree with her about some things. And she gets married, and I kind of disagree with him about some things. And then they all have kids, and it's amazing. These kids, they grow up, they have opinions. It's so weird. And so there's all this kind of disagreement, and it's okay because they're family family. And so we love each other. And all of a sudden our disagreements, they're not paramount. Why? Because our family, our familial connection transcends our disagreements. At the end of the day, they're my family. So we don't agree on everything, but we're unified. We're unified. Get this. You have long time, you have new, and you even have young in the faith, brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you remember what it was like? Do you remember what it was like not in relationship with God? Do you remember what it was like when you were young in your faith, if you happened to be further along in your faith? Do you remember the the sinful, selfish, wicked, and downright stupid decisions you made? And do you remember that? Because Paul is saying we need to understand, we need to remember the feelings of an outcast. We need to remember what it felt like to be an enemy of God, to be an outcast. Do you remember that? Because listen, the power of God that we talked about in chapter one, it changed your life. And it is changing your life. But only because you realized your own depravity. At some point, you were aware and cognizant of the fact that you could not save yourself. And in that moment, you were gripped with grace. You see, we're unified by what we have in common. We are all sinners saved by grace. We all need Jesus. That commonality is what drives unity. And that is the beauty of the church. Diverse, but gathered to worship the same God. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves. And uh, spoiler alert, it's about four loves. I know. One of the loves he talks about is friendship. And he defines friendship, and I'll do it crudely and briefly, but he defines friendship as people that are standing shoulder to shoulder, finding the beauty in something together. And as they look upon the thing that they both love, they notice the person they're standing shoulder to shoulder with, and they say, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. That that's the definition of friendship, the idea that there's a common love. Listen, I'm saying unity, unity not sameness, not sameness. Our flesh wants sameness. We want to surround ourselves with everyone that agrees with us, like I said. Let's just get ourselves in an echo chamber where we can just hear all the things we believe and be like, yes, 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 finally I'm with my people. Society knows this. It's nothing profound or incredible. Society knows it so well, that's why social media uses algorithms to push information to you that you agree with. So you're like, oh my gosh, I like all of these posts. That's amazing. These people are brilliant. And then all of a sudden it happens. One of your friends disagrees, says something ridiculous. How did that get on my feed? I am furious. I need to unfriend them, but not before I verbally berate them in front of everyone socially and publicly. No one in this room will look down on the others that do that. The point is, It shouldn't surprise us. Our flesh wants sameness. We want to find people that agree with us. But unity is not sameness. Unity is when you disagree, but choose to stay in relationship because of something greater. Say, listen, we disagree disagree on these things, but we're still looking at the same thing that we're captured with. We're in love with God. We're in love with our Savior. Now, here comes the problem. If you can't say that, it means you've placed something of greater love in the position that God should be in. You say, oh no, but we disagree because I love this more. Stay in relationship because we're standing shoulder to shoulder loving the one true God together. We need to award grace because we've been awarded grace. And we need to love and encourage those that are shoulder to shoulder with us. 
because maybe they feel like they're on the outside. Maybe they feel like they're an outcast in society. Maybe they feel broken and desperate and alone, isolated, shunned, unfriended. Are we extending hands of mercy and grace? Are we the hands and feet of Christ? Are we leaning in and saying, listen, we disagree on like 98% of everything, but I want to tell you, you're not alone. You're not alone. And it's okay. I'm not here to tell you what it is that, that I believe or what it is that I think. I just, I want to help meet a need. I want to care for you. That's what it's like to be transformed by the gospel. And we're all in process. And I hope that some of this is convicting you because it should. The church is on a greater mission. Let's not allow the enemy of hell or our own flesh to bring division. Let's commit to unity. Let's commit to unity in, in our very young church. And I think in most ways we are unified for sure. So realize I'm not trying to drudge something up. I'm moving through the text. It's what the text says. And so let's just commit as, as Paul is challenging them. Let's commit now that regardless of what it is that we deal with, that we at Centerway would lean towards a deep love of the one true God above all things that the hill we die on will be the gospel, that we'll lean in and we'll lovingly disagree with others, but we'll stand shoulder to shoulder in awe of the one who's worthy of our praise and worship. We say every week that the text requires something of us. And the thing that I want to challenge you with is a statement this week, and it's this. I want to challenge you to creatively encourage someone this week. Creatively encourage someone this week. I want you to, to bow your heads for a moment. And if you want, you can close your eyes. I just don't want you to be distracted as the worship team makes their way up. You can keep your eyes open if you want. But if you would just bow your heads and consider, before you can encourage somebody, before you can extend grace, before you can move beyond something, have you fallen in love with the Savior? Are you in relationship with Jesus? Today, it's as simple as praying a prayer to begin that relationship. You don't have to go through the motions or repeat specific prayer. It's the idea of saying, okay, God, you were an outcast so that I would never be alone. Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you come and be the Lord and leader of my life? Would you forgive me? If you pray that prayer or some variation of it, I would love to have a conversation with you whether it's up front or at the next steps table afterwards. If, if you're watching or listening later or online, you can reach out to us through the website or through email. I'd love to have a conversation with you so it's not just a momentary decision, but it's the beginning of a journey. Now, some of you might say, creatively encourage someone this week. <laughs> sounds a little too touchy-feely. What does that mean? I want to tell you one of the reasons we chose the word creatively is because we envisioned people being like, if we said encourage someone this week, be like, hey, nice shirt, check, walk out. <laughs> this isn't about something fluffy or quick to just say, there, I applied the text. The text is talking about unity. And so I want you to creatively encourage someone this week that maybe you disagree with, that maybe you incredibly disagree with, and maybe it's somebody far from Christ or maybe it's somebody even in this room. Maybe someone that you feel distant from. That you just need to work on strengthening a relationship, a friendship. And just give them an encouraging word. And I want to tell you right now, if you get some type of encouragement this week, it doesn't mean that this person is diametrically opposed to you. <laughs> because I also want to encourage you, if you are already in friendship with people and you just say, you know what, I don't do enough of this. I don't do enough encouraging. I don't do enough unity building. I want to lean in. I want to be a part of this community. And I want to challenge you. Maybe that is the response, is to just creatively carve time out of your life. Leverage who you are to interact with others, to encourage others. Now, maybe you're there and you're like, listen, I've given my life to the Lord and I do encourage others even creatively at times. And I want to challenge you. What does it look like to turn this application into a missional act? To maybe have patience for someone that doesn't have any sense of your faith. 
And maybe you have to encourage them instead of judge them. Not encourage their lifestyle or the things that they do that are apart from God, but encourage them that they're not alone. That you know what it's like to be on the outside looking in and they're not alone. As much as they maybe feel the brokenness of their life crashing in around them, they're not as isolated as they feel. You care about them. You think about them. You know what's interesting? Is that sometimes when we've experienced pain, we resist that pain, even though we know it best. We've walked the journey that other people are walking and we won't step into it and say, listen, I know what it's like. You know why? Because it hurts us too much. We don't want to come back into that pain. We don't want to step into it. We don't want to connect with it. And so instead we keep our distance and we forget what it was like to walk that journey alone. We forget. Oh my gosh, I wanted so bad for somebody to say, it's, it's going to be okay. But I didn't want them to say this. I, I needed them to say that. Maybe God has placed you strategically and sovereignly in spheres of influence so that you could speak words of hope into the hopeless. Broaden your concept of what it means to to live in unity. It's not about us four and no more. It's about the beauty and diversity of the truth of the gospel and how it transcends everything that we have different from our brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be people marked with grace, love, and mercy. That we would be slow to anger, slow to judge, slow to speak, quick to encourage, quick to love, quick to embrace. That we would truly be your hands and feet. We simply declare ourselves available today. And as we respond in worship We ask that your spirit would transform our hearts, that you would realign the the affections of our flesh. We love you, Lord, and we worship you. Let's worship the Lord together.
is Jesus won the affections of your heart? Is he the one you pursue with every part of who you are? I wanna challenge you to, to consider what it, what it looks like and what it means to be captured by the love and grace of the Lord to the point where that's the primary thing above all else. And that we would remember, we would remember what it's like to be awarded grace and that we would be able to award grace to others as a result of being transformed by the truth of the gospel. I wanna leave you with a, a benediction of sorts. <laughs> Eric's in with the kids, but he would absolutely love this moment. <laughs> He'll be excited when he listens to this later. But I wanna close with a, a benediction and um, you're of course welcome to remain here as the worship team continues to play. And I know that we have Super Bowl parties to get to and all that. And I, I appreciate your willingness to, uh, to be present here today and worship with us. The benediction is out of Romans chapter 15, verses five through six. I'm just gonna read it over your lives. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we leave this place, let's leave in one accord. And of course, you're welcome to remain. But God bless you as you eventually go. And may you be Christ's hands and feet as you interact with a world that so desperately desires that. Let's come together again next week to be in his presence. God bless you as you go.